Hello and welcome to Afternoonified, the podcast that has two hosts and always respects the Catholic Church. I'm Emily. And I'm Sarah. Uh, None of that sounds true. With the correct name. Avalon's just the ghost that haunts this cast session. I'm, I'm here to haunt your podcast. Yes, hello. Welcome to the, the last episode, real episode before Christmas slash January break. Because this is going up really close to Christmas, so we didn't really get this a This is technically off. our Christmas episode. Yeah, um, I was meaning to talk to you about that. <laughs> oh, we also have a special guest. Buhaha's host, our friend, Avalon Leonetti. Hello. I, too, love the Catholic Church. <laughs> um, yeah, you're distinctly qualified. <laughs> I've seen Santa Claus's bones. <laughs> we'll come back to that in just a second. Um, but yes, Sarah, you suggested the Pope episode as our Christmas episode. And from a point A to point G standpoint, it makes sense. <laughs> I mean, Christmas. You go to church. Catholic is a church. Pope's lead the Who Catholic the church. the boss of the church? Yeah. All right. Um, yeah, I feel like we peaked in the Christmas carol year, and every year after that's just kind of chasing that high. <laughs> I mean, I, I have accepted this and, like, have adopted the, just the idea that we will never top it, so let's never try. At least until I rewrite the script for the Santa Claus and I make Sarah play Tim Allen. I, I can't do the, the funny Tim Allen voice. That wouldn't go well. <laughs> Can you murder Santa Claus, though? Speaking I of, think that's all that role requires. Murdering Santa Claus. Um, Avalon, you, you've seen Santa Claus's bones. Yeah, so uh, in Bari, in the south of Italy, uh, there is a church. And in that church, they have Santa Claus's bones. You can just go look at them. Uh, St. Nicholas, I assume. Is it like a full skeleton, or is it just like bits? <laughs> I mean, he's in a box. I think most of it's there. So he's not I, incorruptible. I mean, like, they, like, they cover him up with a lot of like red ah, fabric. Okay. So <laughs> maybe he's... Um, it's a very fancy with a, skeleton. With so much of those saintly bodies, there's so much like wax and, and paint and, and makeup involved that it's really hard to tell who's corruptible and who's, who's just having kind of a Joan Crawford day. Um, <laughs> who's somewhat. been bejeweled. <laughs> but- if you want to really ruin your day, you can look up uh, St. Victoria Incorruptible. Oh. I'm gonna go do that right now. Right, doing that, doing that right now. Da, 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 da. Um, and it's gonna look pretty normal surface level, but like get real close to her face. Oh, that's deeply upsetting. Oh, they couldn't no. just close her eyes, just like a little. Mm. Mm. This is—it's one of those, you know. Where does the Lenin end and the artifice begin? Like, I do, I do like that they've like artistically drawn on the blood, like yeah, weeping from her throat. Have you ever seen one of those, like, we applied a year's worth of makeup to this one woman all at once? <laughs> yeah, that's kind of where the, the incorruptible thing gets gets dodgy, because if you have to cover them with wax because they get too gross, I'd say not incorruptible. I bet if you sealed me in wax, like a nice jelly or something, uh, I too would be pretty incorruptible. Like a fresh baby bell cheese. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Don't pull my string. Um. Anyway, that 
particular saint was, again, heavily featured in Angels and Demons, um, which I watched because of the Pope angle and Ian McGregor. It was research. It was for sure research. What? Can I, my favorite saint, and this is true tangent, tangent, um, I think it's Saint Bartolomeo, maybe? Um, But he was flayed alive. Mm, Yes. And whenever he's pictured, he's just pictured skinless. But holding his own skin over his arm like a raincoat. Yeah, that's the reason I like Saint Agatha because she's always just holding a dish with her tits on it. <laughs> uh, Saint Lucy also usually has like a martini glass with her eyes in it. It's real nuts. Um, <laughs> Another toothpick. Mm. Well, when I was in Catholic school, um, like strict Roman Catholic, that whole thing, um, we wouldn't have a Halloween party, obviously. Uh, we'd have an All Saints Day party, where we'd come dressed as our favorite saint, which means that I would try to pick the saint that was the weirdest. So I did have a St. Lucy costume with a martini glass full of chocolate eyeballs that I would offer to people. <laughs> At what point did a priest take you aside and be like, we feel like you're not really doing this in the spirit of the event? Fortunately, <laughs> didn't come up. <laughs> That would be a fun Halloween party, All Saints. Like just <laughs> yes. Out of the mo- context of Catholic school, like not being able to enjoy Halloween, yes. <laughs> Look, it's either this or a hell house. Get used to it. <laughs> um, okay, so we're going to talk about popes, but we're not going to do like a whole history of, well. <laughs> that sounds exhausting. There are a lot there are of like popes. There are like 200 popes. I was exaggerating, but uh, that's too many popes to cover. So we're just going to do some of them. Um, there have been 260 popes since St. Peter. You. I rounded up them. <laughs> um, and in w- Is that counting the anti-popes? No. Um, right. I did almost get into those, but then it was a rabbit hole too deep for me to really go I down. do get into those just a little bit. Very good. <laughs> yeah, so we're not going to do all the popes. We've each selected a, a selection of popes that we find <laughs> embody the spirit of being oh, a pope. The holidays. And by extension, the holidays. <laughs> Yes. This is a very festive episode. All of mine are Christmas-themed if um, your Christmas theme is murder. <laughs> yeah, same. Same. <laughs> Sodomy and murder is kind of where mine land. Fantastic. So yeah, we're, we're going to go through, Sarah. Um, why don't you get us started with, with your popes of choice? Yeah, so I'm covering so three popes who died, I'm going to say, unconventional deaths. Um <laughs> In one pope that might have existed, but maybe not, but probably did, but maybe not, probably not, did not at all. (laughs) (laughs) So they are, unsurprisingly, these are all popes of the Middle Ages, which from my research sounds like a very gnarly time to be a pope. That's when we had most of the popes, I think. They went through a lot of popes in the Middle Ages. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Really burned through them. (laughs) Correct. Uh, So I'm going to start with... uh, Pope John VIII, and he reigned. I don't know if that's the right word. We're going to use it, though. Uh, he reigned toward the end of the ninth century, and he holds the dubious distinction of being the first pope that we know of to be assassinated. Ooh. Uh, so he's actually considered to be one of the more competent popes of this era, which is not saying a lot, considering who we're going to talk about later. But uh, his rule... <laughs> Apparently, he exhausted the papal treasury and it clashed with the Carolingian dynasty. Um, and they, at the time, they ruled over what is like most of Western Europe. <laughs> so they were not a family you wanted to cross. And without their support, he was vulnerable. 
Uh, so in 1882, he was poisoned by one of his own clerics. Uh, but the poison didn't kill him, or it didn't kill him quickly enough, so the cleric resorted to clubbing the Pope to death with a hammer. Like a seal. <laughs> <laughs> and that is the unfortunate end of Pope John VIII. Now, spoilers, John VIII will come up later as well in, in a story that I'm going to tell. He also comes up in another story I'm going to tell slightly later. <laughs> Man, a real Kennedy of a Pope. He's a popular guy. <laughs> okay, our next Pope is Pope John XII. Um, and he was just 100 years later, and they'd already had like four other Johns, which should tell you something about the Middle Ages. Uh, but he sat on the papal throne from 955 to 964, and he is widely regarded as being the worst Pope. Wait, who did you say? Pope John the Twelfth. Oh, I have a Pope worse than him, but go uh, on. Oh boy. <laughs> Battle of the Terrible Popes. Looking forward to this. Uh, so he was born Octavian something of Spoleto. <laughs> and he was so Oh boy, Sunday energy. He was um somewhere between the ages of seventeen and twenty-four when he was first elected Pope. <laughs> Which is a great start. It was mostly because, like, his father was the Prince of Rome. And so he basically made all the Roman nobles pinky swear that they'd make his son the next pope. And then he died. And then the pope died. And they're like, well, I guess this kid's the pope now. <laughs> uh, he was not known for being particularly holy. He was more devoted to, quote, hunting, hawking, gaming, and wine. <laughs> My interests as well. Uh, and there are a number of accusations made by his rivals, which may or may not be true. Like, this could just be, like, propaganda. But at least the story as it goes is uh, he ordained a 10-year-old as a bishop, <laughs> which is part of this larger claim that he was just selling off titles within the church, which probably true. I feel probably like they took a lot of that. How loaded was this 10-year-old? <laughs> I mean, I'm assuming his family was loaded. Yeah, you'd oh, be surprised at how many daddies bought their son's positions oh. in the church. Oh, yeah. <laughs> little, little Stevie <laughs> wants to be a bishop. <laughs> uh, he ordained a deacon in a horse stable. Uh, he blinded his own confessor before killing him. Uh, he castrated a subdeacon before killing him. Um, he was also accused of fornicating with his father's mistress, his own niece, and several widows. I'm glad you added mistress to the end of that, because this was about to be a very different story. <laughs> but based on the bullet point that came after that, yeah. not by a lot. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, and he was also finally accused, just in general, of turning the papal palace into a brothel. So, cool guy. I'd like to just ask, could you, the, the phrase, was it castration of the subdeacon? Yeah. Is a sick fucking band. I was going to say that. I'm pretty sure that is a band out of like Oslo. (laughs) (laughs) Subdeacon Castration. Mm hmm. (laughs) Or at the very least, like a Cannibal Corpse song title. Yeah. Well, Subdeacon Castration also sounds like a pro wrestler that I want nothing to do with. (laughs) No, he fought The Undertaker in 1998. It was a bloodbath. John XII. So during, while he was Pope, uh, he crowned the German king Otto I as Holy Roman Emperor, which at the time had been like, just no one had been Holy Roman Empire Emperor in like 40 years. So he slots this guy in, mostly to ensure that he'd have a pow- powerful ally, because he was also like, while he was also Pope, he was also the secular Prince of Rome. So he had like some right. political what whatnot. Uh, so Otto urged John to give up his worldly lifestyle, um, advice that went ignored. <laughs> sure okay uh, yep. and soon john began to regret giving otto so much power um especially when otto issued a demand that john pledge an oath of obedience to him 
John decided he would not, uh, and he sent envoys to the Byzantines in hopes of cementing alliance against Otto. Of course, Otto finds out about this and marches on Rome. <laughs> he deposes John XII. He replaces him with Pope Leo VIII. Uh, and this lasted just just as long as Otto stayed in Rome. So, like, once he took off, John returned with an army, Pope Leo fled, <laughs> and John assumed the papal throne once more. I love this because it's like, you know, it's not just, you know, making the bed, but like literally constructing the bed and then making it and then having to lie in it. (laughs) You created a Holy Roman Emperor and then, oops. Yep. Just great guy all around. Uh, So there wouldn't be much time for him to enjoy his uh, power now that he had it back. Uh, He would die on May 14th, 964, at either the age of 27 or 34. Quote, Whilst enjoying an adulterous sexual encounter. <laughs> so <laughs> that's how you want to go out. The two versions of the story are he suffered a fatal stroke while he was in bed, or the husband of the woman he was banging discovered them and threw the Pope out the window. <laughs> pope defenest- defenestration, also a great band. He He died doing what he loved. <laughs> doing it. Sorry, who? Who he loved. <laughs> <laughs> Alternately, he died doing what he loved, being defenestrated by a cuckold. <laughs> I'm pretty sure there's a category on Pornhub for that, so. <laughs> cuckold defenestration. Mm-hmm. Also a great band. Um, <laughs> okay. Our next pope is Benedict the Sixth. So, just a decade or so after John the Twelfth, Pope Benedict the Sixth would be elected with the backing of our good friend, Holy Roman Emperor Otto the First in 974. But Otto would die just a few months into his papacy, and at that point, an anti-German faction within Rome revolted, imprisoned Benedict to Saint Angelo, and installed an anti-pope, which is a thing. Um, Boniface the Seventh was the anti-pope. Don't you have that before your regular? <clears throat> Pope, it's like a small, like, appetizer situation. (laughs) (laughs) A whore's de Pope. (laughs) No, that was the other one. Oh, that's right. (laughs) Yeah, so, like, I don't go into this a lot, but anti-popes, as a matter of interest, they are defined as any person who makes a significant attempt to occupy the position in opposition to a legitimately elected pope. What is the definition of, what was that, serious attempts, like... How much effort do you have to put into it before you're considered an anti-pope? I, have an I mean, idea. I would guess, like, you probably probably wouldn't be considered an anti-pope if you just, like, stood on the street corner and declared yourself pope. Like, hmm. if people in power tried to install you as pope, ah, okay. I think that's generally what is defined as a significant attempt. But If you, if you get close enough to put on the hat. Yeah. <laughs> it's usually, like, some faction decides they don't like the current pope him in some way and installs their own pope and this happened multiple times <laughs> man i wish we still had the cool way of getting popes as opposed to what we do now where we respect <laughs> the appointment uh so on the anti-pope's orders benedict the sixth was strangled to death by a priest um and on a mildly interesting side note Boniface the seventh would also die under suspicious circumstances uh, he was so unpopular that when he died his corpse was stripped of his vestments and dragged naked through the streets of rome mm-hmm. uh, and then they deposited him in front of the papal palace where crowds trampled his body and stabbed it with spears <laughs> <laughs> well i was just going to go to the market but this is happening so <laughs> stab okay so our last pope in this series uh, is likely more of a legend than a legitimate historical figure, but her story takes place during the same era and also involves a grisly death. 
So, thematics. <laughs> so, okay. So, the most widely accepted version of the tale is as follows. The woman who would later become known as Pope Joan was a young woman who disguised herself as a man to travel to Rome with her lover. Upon arriving in the city, she became fascinated by religious studies and joined the church, distinguishing herself as a scholar and quickly rising through the ranks. And she would be elected pope in 855. So Pope, the name Pope John VIII, who the guy we covered at the top of the episode, um, the poisoned and clubbed to death guy, um, mm-hmm. he is sometimes attributed as to like being Joan. Others give her an entirely separate name of Johannes Angelicus or Anglicus. Sure. See, Emily, this is where you learning Latin would actually come in handy. I mean, I do know Latin. I just don't remember Latin. Uh, so it was said she would go on to rule the church for just over two years until one day, uh, right in the middle of a papal procession through the streets of Rome, Joan went into labor and delivered a little baby pope right there in front of the crowd. I don't actually know if that's mm. how popes work. If you're the son of a pope, are you all? No, no Sarah, that's not how laid- it works. I thought they laid eggs. That's what they keep under the hat. That's, mm-hmm, <laughs> yep. It's like the the old reverse penguin. <laughs> a hat would be a great place for an egg because, like, so much heat you yeah, know, off the top rises of your head. It's mm-hmm. so a little incubator. Oh, my God. That's all I'm going to think about now. <laughs> <laughs> In nomine patris, sufili, and egg. <laughs> I can't remember the Latin word for egg, but. Oh, boy. Uh, so. Over? Uh, there are disagreements as to how exactly Joan died. Some stories say that she died in childbirth. Other claims that her followers uh, were so enraged at her deception uh, that they beat her to death right there in the streets. Either way, not great. No. But, but I mean, people were so dumb back then. It really <laughs> feels like you could have convinced them that this was a miracle. Right? Like, hey, new messiah, guys. Exactly. So easy. <laughs> Uh, so Joan's story first appeared in writing in the 13th century, and for much of the 14th and 15th centuries, she was actually treated as a legitimate historical figure. So, like, for a while, there was a bust of her that was inscribed Johannes VIII, Femina ex Anglica, on display at the cathedral um, in Siena, along with busts of other popes. So they kind of just, I mean, it's right there in the book that some guy wrote, so apparently. I need a Disney movie about this, in the style of Mulan. Yes. I'm sad to say, though, however, there are absolutely no contemporary sources that acknowledge her existence. Um, and the fact that 300, like 300 or 400 years passed before she was ever mentioned by a historian um, does make it extremely unlikely that her story is anything more than fiction. I don't know. It sounds like something that the Catholic Church would try to cover up, Sarah. See, that's the thing. But, like, this is not unheard of that they would have, like, censored or buried the existence of a female pope. Um, but most scholars think it's more likely that it was, like, anti-papal satire. Um, There's also no real place within, like, the history of the popes where she could have logically fit in, like, some place there between Leo IV and Benedict III. But the gap between their reigns is, like, only a couple of weeks. That would have been, like, mid-9th century. (laughs) I mean, there are a couple times when there was no pope for, like, two years because of logistical issues. Correct. But that's not when people try. Like, people try and place their, like, they... The writings, the documentation that we do have places her around that time, and there's actually, like, well-documented that there would not be a gap during that time. So Fine. I just choose to I'm believe sorry. that the Catholic Church did something kind of cool once. <laughs> never never get your hopes up with the Catholic Church, Emily. <laughs> That's your mistake in the first place. It really seems like there would be, <clears throat> you know, I know that probably there are a lot of, like, you know, illiterate hoi polloi at the time. 
but surely, like, if you were walking down the street and you saw, like, the Pope lay an egg or whatever, like, you would tell... So- there would be, like, primary sources out there. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the Catholic Church is pretty good at censoring that stuff, but I don't think they're that good. Yeah. That's- <laughs> they're so good at it that I didn't know the Spanish Inquisition happened until I was, like, 16. I mean, I don't think that is a... a- issue with like the catholic church as a whole it's probably more to do with your individual like school probably it's not like the catholic church has managed to bury the existence of the spanish inquisition i mean this is the same school where um we acted like the aztecs were excited to see the conquistadors so (laughs) yeah no i I can't i can't think of any major newsworthy items that the catholic church has covered up recently no 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 nothing's coming to mind nope uh, so no Pope Joan. There's a Pope no Pope Joan. In Joan. My heart. I think that is the conclusion. That is a very convenient name if you're going to have a lady Pope. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you have any? That was the last one. That was my last story. Excellent. I'm done. I'm coasting the rest of the episode now. That's why I wanted to go first. Yeah, you're going to have to be funny. So can I take this moment to congratulate us all for you know when a Pope that was only 27 was referenced. None of us made a young pope joke. Oh no, um, that's actually young right pope's now. coming later. <laughs> that's right now. <laughs> I wasn't going to still Emily Slender on the Law, thumb. Jude Law. Although I did mention to Travis last night that uh, Jude Law did what Ewan McGregor could not in becoming a young pope. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, <laughs> man, I forgot I had a little paragraph to like explain the concept of the pope. To people who might not know who the Pope is, and I had a West Side Story reference in there, and I didn't do it, but <laughs> it's fine. Well, it's too late now. No one will ever know. Much like being a shark or a jet. No, that's exactly what it was. It was when you're a Pope, you're a Pope all the way. <laughs> then something about the papal conclave to your last dying day. Anyways, my my first Pope, I'll be doing this in two parts, um, is Benedict the Ninth. The real-life young Pope, but not in the sexy way. That's can disappointing. We, can we cue in LMFAO's sexy and I know it? Like that one scene in The Young Pope? <laughs> I mean, it might also be sexy later on, depending on what you're into, but for the most part, <laughs> I hope it's not. Um, he's also the reason that there's a whole process of election to go through in order to have a Pope, instead of just putting a Pope in power. Oh, oh good. Uh, he was also Pope three separate times. <laughs> I like this guy already. He's got So to begin, that's fun. here's an here's an excerpt from catholic.com. <laughs> oh god. Um and it should set the tone for what kind of person the church said Benedict was. And I quote, "The nephew of his two immediate predecessors, Benedict the Ninth, was a man of very different character to either of them. He was a disgrace to the chair of Peter." I mean, that's strong strong words. That's an opinion. <laughs> um well, because, you know, for the most part, the Catholic Church is like, yes, this was a pope. He was a good person, like, all throughout history. But there are actually some popes where the Catholic Church is like, we fucked up. <laughs> yeah, I feel like there was a very large stretch of time where uh, just popes in general. Um, so Benedict was born Theophylactus of Tusculum in Rome. What a name. This is a Star Wars character. And he came from a very pope-heavy family. <laughs> As you do. Uh, he was... He was the nephew of Benedict VIII and John the Nineteenth, and a grandnephew of John the Twelfth. Oh, the other worst pope. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, no one really knows when he was born, but in 1032, his daddy paid off the Romans and got him elected as the pope, similar to his uh, great uncle. 
Yeah, it runs in the family. Yeah, clearly there's like, yeah. That's why in the Catholic.com blurb, they didn't mention that he was also related to John the Twelfth. <laughs> so at the time he was elected, he was somewhere between 11 and 20 years old. <laughs> um, general belief is that he was closer to 20, although some sources will say he was 12. So it really depends on which do you want to believe, because it's about to get real weird. I really want to believe that. Well, I might not in a couple of minutes, but like I have a nephew who is 10 and I, I just love picturing him as Pope. <laughs> The hat doesn't fit. The robe is too long. What's a excommunication? <laughs> so all he wants to do is watch Scooby-Doo. <laughs> so from about 1032 on, Benny decided to have some fun with his position. Um, Ferdinand Gregorius, or Gregorovius, sorry, um, as a historian who was generally pretty critical of the concept of the papacy in general, wrote that... <laughs> In Benedict, it, quote, seemed as if, as if a demon from hell in the disguise of a priest occupied the chair of Peter and profaned the sacred mysteries of religion by his insolent courses. Cool. And Pope Victor III, in one of his books, refer referred to Benedict's rapes, murders, and other unspeakable acts of violence and sodomy. His life as Pope was so vile, so foul, so execrable that I shuddered to think of it. And, like, you, you know... The other popes weren't great, <laughs> is the thing. Like, the, the bar was really low. Well, the the thing is, we didn't really hear much about him specifically until after a whole thing that we're going to discuss in a minute. So some scholars are of the mind that Benedict wasn't a violent murdering rapist, but was rather kind of a spoiled dick who also happened to maybe probably be gay. <laughs> that doesn't sound like the Catholic Church. <laughs> no. In any case, whatever he may or may not have done, no one was really a fan of him except probably his daddy. <laughs> Pope Benedict was briefly forced out of Rome in uh, 1036, but returned with aid from Emperor Conrad II, which is one hell of a name for a man living in 1036. <laughs> uh, so Conrad expelled the bishops who'd run Benedict out from their positions. Um, so Bishop Benno of Piacenza? Sure. Accused Benedict sure. of many vile adulteries and murders. Um, he was also accused by St. Peter Damien <laughs> of routine sodomy and bestiality and sponsoring orgies. Sponsoring orgies. Like, this orgy is brought to you by Verizon. <laughs> well, someone's got to provide uh, if, the snacks, Emily. <laughs> if Verizon would just put out an ad like that, I'd switch it. Like, I mean, great. Sponsoring orgies. Sounds dope. I'm down. Um, in September 1044, Benedict's lifestyle actually caught up with him, and he was removed from the papacy with Sylvester III replacing him. Oh, that, that was the cat pope, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, with his cardinal, um, the venerable Tweety II. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's being sainted, actually. Um, so... In April 1045, Benedict's brothers forced Sylvester out, allowing Benedict to resume the papacy. Uh, but doubting his own ability to maintain his position and wishing to marry his cousin, Benedict decided to abdicate in May of that year. You get your brothers to beat up the Pope so you can be Pope again, and then you just <laughs> give it up? Because you want to marry your cousin, yes. Um, he offered to give up the papacy to his godfather, John Graton, if he would reimburse him for his election expenses... <laughs> An offer that John accepted. I have so many questions. Like, you can't just, like, shtup your cousin in secret. Like, So the reasons for him needing to be paid to give the papacy away were either to finance his wedding or to establish a pension. 
Uh, Gregory alleged that, or sorry, uh, John Graton became Pope Gregory the something or other. <laughs> one of the one of the Gregs. Whatever. He was a Gregory. Um, he said that he bought the papacy to save the church from scandal and sin. <laughs> <laughs> or he just really wanted to be Pope. Say, I'm sure he played it that way. Where it's like, oh gosh, I just, you just you need me to step in. I guess I'll pay and be Pope. <laughs> For the good of the church. <laughs> Benedict later managed to return to power in 1047, two years later. I he guess get- he changed his mind on marrying his cousin because she wouldn't um, marry him. He <laughs> didn't even want oh. you anyways. Why do we... You really got to ask before you <laughs> Why give up the papacy. In the course of history, have we ever put men in charge of anything? <laughs> Excellent question. <laughs> so this third and final term lasted less than a year before he was again removed from office by Henry III of Germany, who assembled a council at Sutri and deposed Benedict and two other men, Gregory and Sylvester, who had staked competing claims. He then appointed fellow Bavarian Pope Damascus II to the role, and in what was now a tradition of short-lived papacies, Damascus's reign clocked in at a whopping 23 days before he died. A record that I don't think would be beat until Pope John Paul I. Oh, yeah, yeah like the seventies. Uh, yeah, murder. No, actually, yeah. John Paul the first died of a heart attack. Uh, twenty three or thirty three days. Sorry, I'm wrong. But he died thirty three days into his papacy. Oh, that one. Uh, John Paul the second was the one that got shot. Yeah, but didn't die. No, it wasn't. Wasn't John Paul the first? There's I mean, a whole they alleged it was a heart attack. conspiracy around it, but jury's out. We'll have Mafia to do murder. another episode because I'm I interested. I looked into doing John Paul the first, and I just got so tired trying to research it that I. <laughs> didn't ewan mcgregor did it um yeah there you go <laughs> murder the pope yep it was a whole <laughs> illuminati <laughs> thing there was a helicopter he look he just he made the mafia angry and then he died of natural causes yeah that's how all people who make the mafia angry die yeah <laughs> um all right so historians are unsure how benedict lived out the rest of his life some accounts say that he moved to the southeast of rome and repented his sins until his death in january of 1056 and others suggested that he carried on with his sodomy and other such debauchery until i guess he dropped dead of having too much fun <laughs> i don't i don't think those two are mutually exclusive <laughs> um so that's the real life young pope <laughs> benedict the ninth <laughs> I just like to picture his death certificate saying, cause of death, too much sodomy. <laughs> I'm pretty sure there was a pope who died while being sodomized, but I think I sent you guys yeah. the Wikipedia Yeah, you sent us the Wikipedia blurb. Hold on. I gotta find this. <laughs> so much of this episode, like, the title could just be, like, Roman musical chairs. Like, it's just, it's like the, it's like the papal ho- hokey pokey. Uh, yes, uh, Paul II. Died in 1471, thought to have died of indigestion arising from eating melon, though it's been suggested he died while being sodomized by a page. We're going to throw up some industrial-sized quotation marks around eating melon. <laughs> oh, oh! <laughs> you know say, I do wonder, like, how much, because especially with, like, um, what's, what's the guy, John Twelfth or whatever, like, I do wonder about how much of this is actually true and how much of it is, like, Catherine the Great in the horse story. <laughs> Like, how how much of it is just, like, rumors from their enemies that, like, became accepted fact and we just don't have any other documentation to prove otherwise, so we just assume it's all right? Yeah, I think that's primarily the case with um, John the Twelfth and Benedict the Ninth is that they were probably not great, but they were definitely not that bad. Right, yeah. If 
If there's one thing that I learned in my time living in Italy, it's that Italians love baseless slander. <laughs> uh, it's it's a it's a real just like hey, you don't like them, say that they did you know X Y Z with X Y Z's mom. You know, it's like mm. so yeah, probably a fair amount to that. <laughs> uh, so I'm very excited for your first story, Avalon. I mean, both of them, but specifically because I don't know anything about this and I have just heard about it in passing. So. I think if we're going to work in chronological order, we should start with the cadaver synod. Synod, synod, synod. Synod, moth, pope, moth, pope. I know the words now. We can put that in the slideshow. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, the cadaver synod uh, occurred in 897. The story starts with Pope Stephen VI, who despised his predecessor, Pope Formosus. Um, who reigned from 891 to 896, Stephen felt that Formosus had assumed the papacy illegally. Uh, And so extreme was his hatred that Stephen VI decided to formally put Formosus on trial for his crimes. Um, Unfortunately, uh, Formosus had been dead for a year. End of story. (laughs) (laughs) No, uh, of course it's not. Uh, Because Pope Stephen was a medieval pope and as such was a total fucking madman. (laughs) Yeah, they were full of psychopaths. (laughs) So rather than just moving on and, you know, being the Pope, uh, Stephen decided to have some lackeys, I'm assuming like deacons or whatever, have them dig up Formosus's pre-embalming rotten in the ground for at least one Roman summer body and force him to stand (laughs) trial for his crimes. Or a lay trial in this case. (laughs) Oh, no, they propped him up. I'm going to bullet point out the historical context here because it's it's like every fucking story about a pope it is lengthy oh god as yeah all i ran out. into that so much yeah it's really, the the, like, the many just the political holes. context surrounding everything mm. is so complicated every article about a uh, every wikipedia article about a pope is like a paragraph about a thing and then like 14 <laughs> pages of like cultural context you're like Ugh. General historical background. At this time, there was a rift in the church. Uh, The Holy See was losing power as small cities around Rome gained power. And the papacy began to be seen as a position of, uh, you know, monetary gain rather than a spiritual role of leadership. And most importantly, in the context here, there was also a succession of quick-fire garbage popes. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) None of the guys we've covered already. Um, and these quickfire garbage popes seem to grow increasingly distrustful of anyone who might seek to usurp their power for some reason. Um, like poor Formosus, who was, it seems, real good at spreading the word of the Lord, or whatever. He was so good, in fact, that the ruler of Bulgaria asked the then pope to make Formosus the archbishop of Bulgaria. Um, the then pope, John VIII, who we covered, um, responded by freaking the fuck out, <laughs> excommunicating Formosus, and accusing him of conspiring against the salvation of the state. Um, the man who's dead? <laughs> no, this is when, when he okay. was still alive. Okay. This is, um, this is the, the background leading up to the trial. I tapped out um, when I swallowed my coffee wrong and uh, <coughs> choked for a couple minutes. Oh god, are you okay? Yeah. Yes, I'm fine. Went, went down the wrong oh, no. pipe and there was alcohol in it, so. Oh no, oh, schnapps nose. Oh. Um, so yeah, the then Pope, uh, John VIII, who who we covered earlier, um, excommunicated Formosus. Um, but eventually, when Pope John VIII died mysteriously, 
uh, Formosus was, I don't know, re-communicated and then became Pope. Which brings us back to the Cadaver Synod. Years later, when Formosus died, Stephen VII, just Pope Stephen, it's just Pope <laughs> some Steve. guy. Steve. Pope Steve. The guy from Blue um, the- <laughs> No, it's the first Pope to wear cargo shorts and new balances in office. <laughs> hey, I'm Pope Steve. How's it going? <laughs> Polo shirt with the collar popped. Go Knicks. Um, <laughs> so Formosus dies. Stephen is, uh, is made Pope. Um, and proceeds to freak out about Formosus and how he he was uh, an illegitimate pope and uh, and was uh, yeah. this is Stephen was this just- is why we don't elect women as president because they're too hysterical. Do you guys remember the movie Amadeus, where the whole thing was told from the point of view from someone who hated Amadeus, but like Amadeus was like what Salieri? Yes, who the fuck are you? Yeah, um, it feels a lot like that. Like. <laughs> Just real mad at a guy who did not give a shit about him. (laughs) Look, we've all done the thing where it's two o'clock in the morning and you're just spinning your wheels, drafting an email. I mean, I've been in like a weird unspoken competition with a lady across the hall for like who has the better door decoration. lady? Uh, She doesn't have anything up right now. So you win. But I have a, I win because my wreath lights up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, screw her. Um, so anyway, back to the cadaver synod. Um, Stephen was super butthurt about Formosus being Pope. Uh, how butthurt, you ask? Uh, butthurt enough to wrap Formosus up in his shiny papal vestments, like last year's Christmas God, tree. Can you imagine the servants who were, who had to, like, get him dressed? There's a lot of things, like, snapping. Imagine walking into the room clothes. and being told that this is your job. We're digging up the what? <laughs> We're putting him in what? Sorry, we're in doing the, who? The, the, mm. the with the guy. He's gonna stand what? <laughs> <laughs> so they dig him up like last year's desiccated Christmas tree. <laughs> they prop him up in whatever the medieval equivalent of a courtroom is, and then had a deacon stand behind the corpse and I assume wiggle his jaw <laughs> up and down while speaking for the dead pope <laughs> as Stephen screamed at it. <laughs> Where's this movie? I mean... <laughs> it's just, it's old man yells at cloud. <laughs> old man yells at corpse. <laughs> it's hard not to picture Stephen as Trump, is all I'm saying. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> surprisingly, Formosus's corpse was found guilty. I guess he didn't mount a very rousing defense. Um, he was found guilty of perjury, transmigrating seas in violation of canon law, which, as I understand it, is the medieval equivalent of voting in multiple states, um, and pretending to be a bishop. After the rotting body was found guilty, they took his papal vestments, renounced his papal decrees, cut off his blessing fingers. Uh, oh, wait, which fingers are they? Uh, first and third. Oh, no. Yeah, it's, it's, the, it's the scout's honor fingers, I think. <laughs> Yeah, his quote-unquote blessing fingers. <laughs> it's uh, one of the ones for the pink and one of the ones for the stink, I think. <laughs> I'd say that's too blue for this podcast, but we had a wet-ass pussy joke like a couple episodes ago, so we're, we're fine. Uh, well, we're about to get wet-ass Pope. Um, so, because they buried him in a graveyard, then dug him up, tied weights to him, and threw him in the river. Yes, that is a wet-ass papacy. <laughs> Uh, after the Synod, 
public opinion turned against Pope Stephen for some reason. Oh, this uh, man is a maniac. Of- <laughs> See, the thing is, you, you, know you the did Pope, the Trump yeah. comparison earlier, and I think if Trump did something like that today, he'd probably just get away with it. <laughs> he'd still have followers who are like, yes, that corpse is out of line. <laughs> dug up ruth bader ginsburg and yelled at twitter would be mad for like a (laughs) week and then everybody "Mm." would just move on (laughs) he's probably waiting for rosie o'donnell to die let's be honest (laughs) Um, public opinion turned against stephen formosus's body washed up on the shores of the tiber um and it was said that the body could perform miracles (laughs) as support for formosus's magical corpse grew (laughs) Stephen was deposed and jailed by an angry mob. Ooh, did they make um, the corpse pose Pope again? Because <laughs> <laughs> they reinstalled from the us. angry mob is like. <laughs> I love him just like carrying him like a like an effigy at the front of the angry mob, <laughs> just for 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 Pope Stephen. Like, oh God, he's back. It's the, the weekend at Bernie's prequel. <laughs> I say the best part yeah. is after like the 40 minutes of nonsense all prior to this like that would not shock me if that actually was a thing that happened yeah yeah no i was like yes yeah, so that's about right um un- unfortunately uh no there was no um dead death pope <laughs> corpse Weekend pope Pope's. um corpse pope was my favorite tim burton movie um interesting <laughs> choice having helena bottom carter play the pope though <laughs> As as an after a little addendum here, um, Stephen was strangled to death in prison a year later. That tends to happen. Yeah, the synod was annulled, and Formosus was reinterred in Saint Peter's Basilica with his papal vestments. Uh, and trials of corpses were made illegal for a time, <laughs> just for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, apparently only for a while. <laughs> and and that's the story, the heavily abridged oh, story of the cadaver synod. <laughs> It's a tough act to follow. <laughs> Just, you know, when, when you get to the point where you're asking a deacon to puppeteer a corpse. <laughs> eh, I don't know, man. Uh, Maybe take a day the off. Catholics aren't strangers to just keeping dead bodies around. Are you saying we should be glad that Stephen wasn't like, uh, get get a cl- get a watchmaker and like put some gears in this thing. I want him to move. <laughs> Pretty much. Pope Stephen built a robot. I'm honestly surprised that there isn't an incorruptible saint with like some sort of lever system where it like raises its hand in blessing. That we know of. Yeah, like, there's probably a church in like <laughs> buttfuck nowhere hungry. That- there's a button in the Vatican that as soon as they press it, all of the all of the, the dead saints rise up. Uh that's their like last resort button. <laughs> <laughs> It's like in the Deathly Hallows when McGonagall brings the statues to life. <laughs> Case of heresy, press button. <laughs> it's for an emergency miracle. Just a lot of gilded waxy skull <laughs> banging against the glass cupboards that they keep them in. Oh, man, I need to crack open my book of Incorruptible Saints again. It was written in the mid-70s uh, by a Catholic, <laughs> and I checked it out of the school library so many times when I was in school. <laughs> I, that feels like something where, like, the librarian would notice and, like, quietly put a flag on your, like, per- your permanent record. <laughs> we're, we're putting it on the list. The library at this 100-student Catholic school in the middle of nowhere, Oregon, um, you know, didn't really have the biggest library. <laughs> it's kind of weird that that one was in there. Not really. <laughs> 
No, I actually bought myself a brand new copy from Powell's when we did the the very first episode of this podcast. <laughs> like this will come in handy. It did for sure. It did. <laughs> um. All right. So my story is a. I said it was a little shorter when I started writing it, but let's be honest, it's about the same length. It's a little bit less about popes and more about a really fun lady. Oh, but. A pope, cool. a pope does come into it quite often. It, that sounds like a nice break. He's kind of like the Merlin to King Arthur. So, <laughs> and that he was put in, in a, inside of an oak tree for perpetuity. Correct. Uh, so, once upon a time, a pope, uh, Clement V, from what I've heard, decided to move to France and take the whole ass papacy with him. Oh yeah, this this was the thing. Uh, some say it's because Rome was getting too stressful. And he wanted to go home to France, while others have said it's because that's where the woman he was in love with lived, and this was way easier than sneaking her into the Vatican. I bet it was the latter. Both are <laughs> equally viable. <laughs> anyway, so the Avignon papacy was widely criti- criticized, yet it lasted for 73 years, during the Black Death, no less, uh, from 1305 to 1378, and encompassed seven popes. Yeah, this is the the schism I was going to get into, and I'm not going to tell their whole story, but, like, essentially, like, at some point they did try and move the papacy back to Rome, and so there was a pope in Rome, there's a pope in Avignon, and then, like, some else, someone else, totally in a third place, decided he was going to be pope, and then all three popes excommunicated each other. <laughs> Um, it's kind of like an earlier, more intense version of Vatican II, yeah. <laughs> where it made a lot of people mad and didn't accomplish anything. Somewhere in the middle of that 73 years, the city of Avignon actually became the property of the Catholic Church. <laughs> Which is wild, you might say. How the fuck did they get a whole city, you might ask? I, I live here. What? <laughs> uh, well, they sure as fuck didn't just buy it. So the story involves Pope Clement the Sixth, a queen, and a celebrity murder in the same vein as O.J. Simpson. Ooh. So Joanna of Naples, the first, was hot, popular, and the heir to the throne of Naples. <laughs> uh, in an effort to fix the relationship between Naples and Hungary, which was like a big thing at the time, because Naples was kind of the head of its own kingdom. It wasn't Italy yet, and Hungary was Hungary, and they were mad at Naples. It's like eight paragraphs on Wikipedia that I didn't read. Yeah. So they tried to to fix relations um, by marrying Joanna to her cousin Andrew, a Hungarian prince, when she was seven and he was five. Lovely. So many of these papal problems seem they seem to think that they can be solved by a simple cousin marriage. Um. So if you're waiting for the story to get less gross, it's not going to. <laughs> what year was this again? Um. Ish. I I don't know. Uh, the mid 1300s. Yeah, that checks out. Um. I removed a lot of the dates for the sake of me being able to make it through the story. <laughs> Ten years later, when her father died, Joanna ascended the throne, with Andrew following her as prince consort, or whatever the fuck it is. Andrew was kind of an ass, and extra butthurt that he didn't have the same power as he would if he was actually king. Oh, I know. <laughs> um, so this earned him a number of enemies, including his wife, who wouldn't even <laughs> let him near her bedchamber without her express permission. Good for her. <laughs> Andrew's mommy had to go see the Pope, Clement VI, to, and ask him to formally coronate Andrew so that he would appear more legitimate as a king. And Clement agreed, because why the fuck not? Um, <laughs> but in response, Joanna asked the Pope to stop discussing Neapolitan issues with Hungarian envoys. <laughs> the Pope addressed Andrew as, quote, the illustrious king of Sicily, 
and urged his coronation. But five days after that, Joanna urged the Pope to withdraw his command and to authorize her to rule alone, which the Pope responded to by declaring Joanna um, the ruler of the kingdom as if she were a man. Hell yeah. Eve, yes. Cool. Not well. Hey, Pope did a not cool the thing. decision I was expecting, but great. Yeah, Clement VI didn't stay super kosher during the story, but a uh, note on Clement, since this is an episode about popes, and why not have someone who did some good stuff? Um, Clement also worked hard to discourage the persecution of the Jews during the Black Plague, because um, people got into their head that the Jews were causing the Black Plague and sometimes murdered entire populations oh, of yeah. them. Um, he also put a stop to the Crusades as best he could. He tried. That's the subtitle of his reign. He also survived the Black Plague because, on the suggestion of one of his doctors, he spent his time sitting between two blazing fires, which worked because it was too hot for fleas to hang out on him. It's like the medieval equivalent of a hand sanitizer. <laughs> Just fire. Um, so, all that being said, he got, with, he got annoyed with Joanna later on for ignoring his emails <laughs> and uh, said that they should go ahead and coronate Andrew. Yeah, she she left him on red. It was a whole thing. As a result, no one was really surprised when Andrew turned up dead, rope tied to his genitals, and hanging from a balcony at the <clears> palace <throat> two years after Joanna had become queen and just before his coronation. Was he hanging oh, by his genitals? From what I could tell, he was strangled, the rope was tied to his business, and then they threw him off the side of the balcony, yes. Surely not through. Surely they g- very gingerly lowered him to the extent of the rope. <laughs> I feel like otherwise you're getting a tear somewhere. Yeah, yeah I don't know if it... <laughs> but from what I could tell, there was a rope hanging from that. It was <laughs> probably accidental, I'm sure. <laughs> There's a full account of how the murder happened on the Wikipedia it's... page. and No, Emily. It, it, wasn't... Sh- it was an accident. <laughs> Uh-huh, uh-huh. It wasn't like a, a David Hutchins, David Carradine kind oh, of like, yeah. you know. no. They f- found him with a belt. I guess it was suicide. Mm-hmm. Mm. So Joanna wasn't immediately suspected, um, but after really? rumors started going around of her having an affair with a dude named Louis, the Hungarians decided that she probably did it. And this is despite Andrew's Hungarian nurse finding the body and telling the Hungarian king everything that actually happened. Uh, it turns out she didn't do it by herself, at least. It was a group of people who were pro Joanna. Oh, yeah, I'm sure she. Uh... And she just probably kind of let it happen. So you might say it was political. <laughs> you know, in the middle of this, Joanna and Louis of Toronto, dif- different Toronto, um, that Louis that there were rumors that she was having an affair with. Um, they arrived in Avignon in 1348 to have a personal meeting with Pope Clement. Joanna's visit had three reasons. Uh, to obtain dispensation for her marriage to Louis, <laughs> to receive the absolution or exoneration of Andrew's murder, and to prepare the reconquest of her kingdom because she had been driven out by the Hungarians because of the maybe not murder thing. The totally not a murder. Yeah, all of that penis tethering. <laughs> um, anyways, so... The Pope granted the couple dispensation, appointed a commission to investigate the charges of involvement in the murder of Andrew, and, completely unrelated, bought the city of Avignon for 80,000 florins, which became effectively separate from France, like the Vatican is separate from Italy. And, weirdly, eventually, they found that Joanna was not responsible for the crime. Oh, convenient. And the Pope pope referred to her as, quote, a woman beyond reproach. 
Um, so yeah, it definitely had nothing to do with the sale of a whole ass city. But that's the story of Queen Joanna and Pope Clement VI. <laughs> that sounds like a story about two loosely connected coincidences. <laughs> I just, I don't see it. I Yeah, I mean, they're probably, it's probably not anything. I wouldn't worry about it. <laughs> he just fell. <laughs> and they were having a Black Friday sale on Avignon. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you just walk around with a rope tied around your dick. And you accidentally fall off yeah. the balcony <laughs> with the rope tied to the, another end. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it gets caught in the railings and it's just. How else are you supposed to test your rope? <laughs> the thing is, it reminded me of that murder. It's on like a super bougie island in San Diego where it was a lady who like fell naked off a balcony tied oh, up. Oh, yeah. Rebecca and- Zahau or. I don't know. How- not yeah. Sure how to and it. everyone was like, oh, must have been. Yep. Accident. For sure. You're like, mm, definitely. He, he he fell onto the bullets is the problem. <laughs> All right, let's round it out with one more story. All right, so this is um, in comparison with the cadaver synod. This is a little bit lower key, let's say. But um, it's it's just a story of uh, you know, a celebration of the holidays. Uh-huh. and it just seems so festive seasonally appropriate yeah it's it's a it's a very festive holiday tradition um but before i tell you about the the celebration of the holiday in question just going to give you a little bit of background on the the pope who uh came up with it this is a a little bit of brief background on pope alexander the sixth um who was born in spain as rodrigo borgia oh no Um, no Of the of the Venetian poison glove richer than Roosevelt Borgias, yes. One, one of those guys. <laughs> so, uh, a little bit of contextual background there. Uh, the Borgias were Spanish nobles who uh, attained power and wealth in Spain and across the Italian peninsula by securing high-ranking civic and uh, uh, ecclesiastical uh, offices. Wasn't Jeremy Irons in a show about Correct. them? Jeremy Irons was the Borgia. This is in... Ah. And was the Borgia in question, oh, okay. actually. Okay. Uh, he played, uh, yeah, this is the only uh, papal sex weirdo to be portrayed by <laughs> Jeremy Irons. That we know of. <laughs> that we know of. The family rose to even greater heights following the papal appointment of Rodrigo's uncle, Alfonso de Borgia, who became Pope uh, Calixtus. Oh, what a name. Why yeah. don't we have any Pope Calixtus anymore? Right? <laughs> Probably because he can't pronounce it. <laughs> I actually have a, a game that we're going to play afterwards that's supposed to be a surprise, but... Just a preview. <laughs> Is it Pope or Star Wars <laughs> character? Yeah, Pope Lando Calrissian. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. He was Pope during, like, um, the 7th century. The first black Pope, yeah. Yeah, during during the first Kessel run, yeah. Um, as a young cardinal, uh, Rodrigo was described as tall and handsome with a wonderful skill for money matters. Uh, and he reportedly regularly engaged in bribery, nepotism, and wild orgies. I saw the best post- popes do. Yeah, yeah, that's really, that's part of the job description at this point. Um, but he was perhaps a bit excessive, even for a, a pope. Uh, Pipe, uh, pope Pius II warned him about his sex parties, calling them unseemly. I'm pretty sure his name was Pipe Popus. <laughs> Pipe Popus. Pipe Popus Pipe. <laughs> that's what the guy in the last story referred to as junk <laughs> as. <laughs> Um, Rodrigo was, quote, a very carnal man and very loving of his flesh and blood. He had two famous mistresses, both married noblewomen. Um, 
However, instead of hiding these things as a normal pope would, uh, he courted controversy by openly acknowledging that he fathered seven children between them, and historians believe he likely had many other illegitimate children whose names have been lost to history. I mean, it's kind of refreshing. Yeah, yeah it's, own it, you know, just really, it's like when Jerry Springer ran for mayor, and he's like, yeah, you all know that I used campaign funds to, to secure the services of a sex worker, but I'll tell you that. And no other guy would. So vote for me, honest Jerry. I would rather have a pope that fucks than like the dusty ass like celibate popes that we have now, because there's a lot that you just get pent up and you take out on your congregation. It really, like it's there's a there's a, a creepiness that comes with you know just repression over an extended period of time see literally every story about the catholic church for the last thousand years um so um when rodrigo became pope he immediately appointed 10 of his relatives to the college of cardinals um including his 18 year old son cesare um Chaz. also Chaz, Chaz borge <laughs> no you're gonna do it it's Chaz borg <laughs> i am Chaz borg destroyer of worlds Chaz borg, yes um <laughs> yeah, he's, he's getting his own marvel movie <laughs> Uh, um he's he's in power um his son cesare i will not go into but if you've seen the show the borgias he's he's uh, uh, a, a real debauched kind of sex weirdo himself uh as was his sister lucretia um but super hot yeah super super hot um so Rodrigo's in power. He's a uh, lot of nepotism, bringing like 10 of his relatives into the, the College of Cardinals. Um, he's also endowing all of his friends with uh, like fiefdoms across the Papal States uh, and is regularly practicing the sin of simony, uh, which is the sin of selling church offices. So just just yeah, hawking. Like, definitely not the got. only pope who yeah. was doing that. Yeah. No. But he was the only pope who in 1500, proclaimed the year as a holy year of jubilee and arranged an extravagant celebration to mark the occasion, which he called the Festival of the Chestnuts. That sounds delightful. <laughs> so I would cute. love a whole year of jubilee. Um, it does sound delightful. Uh, and here's how they celebrated. Um, on October 30th, <laughs> which also, that's this is what I'm doing for Halloween from now on, um, Pope Alexander and his son Cesare um and his daughter lucretia held what has become known as the banquet of the chestnuts at the apostolic uh, the apostolic palace the official residence at the time uh, it was reportedly an all-night orgy that saw the pope his son his daughter and some of their inner circle enjoy the services of quote 50 honest whores just the honest ones though yeah, I like I the the definition of like as opposed to like what um, the honest horror sounds like a Hallmark movie <laughs> or like a Lifetime movie probably probably like that went a different direction. I was going to say the honest horror sounds like like a bar in like Dublin or something. Oh, that too. I was going to say that it sounds like a like a column in The Stranger <laughs> or something like it's going to air like it's printed next to Dan Savage's column or something. <laughs> All three of those things are true. um so the the papal master of ceremonies wrote in his diary that well he described the festivities as such uh after dinner the candelabras with burning candles were taken from the tables and placed on the floor and chestnuts were strewn around at which point the naked courtesans were asked to 
scrabble around on the ground in the dark, creeping on their hands and knees between the chandeliers and the guests, while the Pope, Cesare, and his sister looked on. Uh, And finally, at the end of the night, prizes were awarded for those who had performed, quote, the act most often with the courtesans. See, for a second, I thought this was going to be like the story of the origin of the Texas Roadhouse, like nuts on the floor. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to say, it sounds like a fire hazard more than anything. (laughs) A slipping hazard. (laughs) Slipping plus fire hazard, yeah. Not a great combination. Yeah, and so at the end of the night, they gave out uh, prizes such as silk tunics, shoes, berets, and other things. And that's this wonderful story of the Festival of the Chestnuts. How festive. I cut a lot of incest out of this. I mean, I think we all did out of all of our stories. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that the next three people that Joanna married after Lewis were related to her in I, some way. They usually were. <laughs> they all got mad because she wouldn't let them be like big kings. <laughs> it's a real small king energy. Uh, the subtitle of this episode is just, we cut a lot of incest out of this one. That could just, that's the description of the episode. Just put that in there. No other context. All right. <laughs> it saves me some time uh, having to write a blurb. So yeah, that's, that's the, uh, the, the story of the Festival of the Chestnuts and, uh, and uh, history's uh, Jeremy Ironsiest Pope. This actually makes me want to watch The Borgest. <laughs> yeah, I've never seen it. I just knew that Jeremy Irons was in it and that everyone was too hot for that time period. Yeah. Um, too, too many teeth. Including Jeremy Irons. <laughs> I do have, um, and this it's not really a, a, a story, but I had mentioned the Pope's secret sex bathroom. Yes, I was going to ask. I have, I have a couple sentences about the Pope's secret sex bathroom. This is, it's more of a historical curiosity than anything else. It's called the uh, Stufetta del Bibiena, uh, which... Uh, Basically, there was a cardinal named Bibiena, who was a fun, sexy kind of patron of the arts, slash libertine, slash writer of erotic fanfics. Um, And uh, he was super into pre-Christian pagan imagery, um, which, you know, a lot of it was being dug up and excavated from around Rome at the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, So he asked uh, Raffaello Sanzio da Urbino, uh, better known as Raphael, to paint him... Yes, the 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 worst of the Ninja Turtles. Um, yeah, to paint him a bathroom of erotic frescoes, um, and you know, I mean, like a sitting room might have been less suspect, but it's a bathroom. Like <laughs> this is the room where I'm naked. Um, <laughs> uh, which also it translates as uh, Bibiana's warm oh. room. <laughs> Ooh, that makes it sound even worse. Sex bathroom is less um, weird. <laughs> <laughs> my warm room um yeah so subsequent residents were unimpressed um and the stufetta was defaced whitewashed and uh even turned into a kitchen before a catholic art expert re- rediscovered it in the 19th century um it wouldn't be as notable if it weren't for the fact that the building that it was painted in uh was turned into the papal apartments so it's not just in the Vatican, it is in the papal apartment. It's in the Pope's um, house? Yeah, it's in the Pope's house where the Pope lives. Is it still there? Um, yeah, it, they keep it under the lockiest of keys. Um, but there's an article on Slate about a guy who like just sp- spent an inordinate amount of time trying to get a viewing uh, and was allowed to go. And he's like, yeah, it's a lot. Well, there's a description here. Um, the writer said, uh, Raphael had designed his frescoed panels like a graphic novel, recounting the adventures of Venus, the goddess of love, and Cupid, 
the god of erotic desire for Cardinal Bibiana to admire as he lounged, quote, in his hot tub. Um, at knee level, the original silver faucet was crafted in the face of a leering satire. Um, satyr, damn it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> one panel showed the naked goddess stepping daintily into her foam-fringed shell. Uh, in others, she admires herself in a mirror, lounges between Adonis's legs, and swims in sensual abandon. Uh, a couple of the frames, even more risque, have been destroyed. Uh, one, recorded by an early visitor, showed Vulcan attempting to rape Minerva. Lovely. Yeah. So, a lot of stuff, a lot of uh, piquant decor for your for your tub room. Yeah, I just wasn't <laughs> sure about the Leonard Nimoy, Maggie Smith uh, porn that you just described. <laughs> where's Bubo? did they drag Bubo into this um yeah so that's it's in the papal apartments um it's also fun because uh cardinal bibiana's bedroom you know sex weirdo's bedroom uh is a room in the papal apartments that since has been used for many official diplomatic <laughs> meetings yeah diplomatic <laughs> meetings yeah they were <laughs> Uh, so yeah you can go online and see some of there's some very low res images of of the frescoes but um yeah it's the it's the 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 pope's old masturbatorium i guess uh well to to wrap up the episode we're gonna play a quick game of how many were there (laughs) (laughs) where i'm going to give you guys the name of a pope and you have to tell me how many popes of that name there currently are we doing uh prices right rules where it's closest without going over yes uh so first up is the ever popular pious how many piouses pious (laughs) i do you think there have been 15 i'm gonna say nine and Avalon wins. There have ah. been 12 Piuses. I knew it. Okay, because in The Young Pope, Jude Law plays Pope Pius the something. I thought he was the 12th, but He's I'm like, I want to go, I want to go under by a couple just to be sure. <laughs> yes, the last Pope Pius died on the 9th of October, 1958. Just short of the Festival of the Chestnuts. What a bummer. All right. How many Benedicts? Shit, we just had one. What was he? Oof. A bad Pope? <sighs> I want to say... <laughs> he is a history's only Sith Pope. 18? <sighs> I feel like I should know that. Uh, I'm going to say... I'm going to say... It's, I'm going to say 17. 16. Damn it! Damn it! <laughs> With the last one abdicating his throne in 2013. He is the first Pope since Clement Twelfth to give up the throne. <laughs> Better stuff to do. And that was in 1730, so... Oof. All right. Let's do the last one. It's going to be hard. How many Pope Johns? We covered at least 12. <laughs> 23. Honestly, I have no fucking clue. Fuck, I was going to say, they got to 12 to by like it. the middle. You're both right. No, you guys are both right. What, really? There have been 23 Pope Johns. Goddamn. <laughs> nice. Digital high five. The last one died in 1963 after four years and 218 days in office. Yeah. It's a respectable, it's a respectable run. Respectable run. run. Good for him. Uh, he yeah. intervened for peace during the Cuban Missile Crisis. Maybe that's why I know him. I doubt that's why I know him. He probably did something well, Do you weird. know a lot about the Cuban Missile Crisis? Like, No. <laughs> There were missiles in Cuba, and it was a crisis. Some notable first popes. We have the first Saint uh, Pope, sorry, first Pope Francis mm-hmm. in office right now. And there hasn't been an originally named pope in, still scrolling, 
Still scrolling? Still going. Christ. Uh, <laughs> my God. Okay, we're getting there. I'm in the 16th century right now. I'm still scrolling <laughs> for a Pope who came up with an original name. Nope. Is it um, whatever it his fucking Pope name John was? Paul the, first. The, the Borgia? Is it Calixtus? <laughs> still haven't found Wouldn't one. It, it would have been Pope John Paul the first because he was in the 70s. Oh, right. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Okay. Because he had a first. I was looking for no Roman numerals because Saint uh, Pope Francis. The ninth. Pope Francis doesn't have any Roman num- numerals. But only, yeah, because we don't have a He's second like, one share. yet. Yeah. We, we don't have any non Roman numeraled popes. Um, isn't, it, isn't it crazy that nobody's gone with Francis? Well, there was Pope Adelbert. I was say, Francis is like the crunchiest <laughs> saint, so it doesn't surprise me. <laughs> I'm. S- there was also. Pope Theodoric in the 1100s. Now, again, I'm going to say, like, a really fun game that is a lot harder than you'd think is, you know, NPR host or Star (laughs) Wars character. I, um, who would have thought that Sprint's Arbogast is actually an NPR host? Um, But, like, you could totally swap in Pope or Star Wars guy. Yeah. Like, that's, this is absolutely doable. Especially if you go with the, uh, christian like names of the popes before they took their pope name (laughs) yes god yeah it's just a lot of gregory's and john's and not a lot of i was gonna say has anyone actually taken the name peter since like you know the first peter would that be too i was gonna yeah that would be my guess is that probably no one's been like pope peter the second because it seems kind of uppity to Oh yeah, I'm the second oh, there Peter. Are 16, 16 mentions of Peter on the list of Pope's Wikipedia yeah, page. Yeah, I guess I guess hum- humbleness is not as much of a virtue as we might think it, it should be. Um, <laughs> it looks like the answer is no. Ah. There's only been one Pope Peter. Did they retire um, it like a jersey? Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they raised his body up into the rafters. <laughs> See, he's up there with Formosus. <laughs> <laughs> Complaint is that. We had uh, Pope John the 13th, Pope Paul the 6th, Pope John Paul the 1st, and yet no Pope John Paul George. <laughs> In order for them to have that, you would, it would necessitate a Pope Ringo at some point. <laughs> I would love Pope John Paul George Ringo uh, the 1st. The wait, first British I would just pope. say, wait until we have the first millennial pope. All you need is love. <laughs> I'd probably be the most effective pope. Have you ever tried masturbating with all your pope friends? <laughs> anyway, that's our Christmas episode on popes. Luco Popo? <laughs> happy, happy oh. festival of the chestnuts to all of you. Yes, uh, Merry Neo Yule to all those who celebrate and who have been with us since our first Christmas special when you tried to make Neo Yule a thing. Uh, may Keanu Reeves bless you with all of your heart's desires this December the 25th. And a wet and sticky Saturnalia to you all. The only way it should be celebrated. <laughs> Remember, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Afternoonified, getafternoonified.com, uh, where you can listen to old episodes, you can buy merch. Um, we have several very good merch options uh, by Avalon. Ooh, yes. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> and I think we're getting close to the holiday shipping deadline, so... You know, if you're going to get someone a teleportation butt magic tote for Christmas, uh, you better get that now. This is our last full episode before we go on our break. Like we said before, we'll have a mini, a special, very special mini that we've already recorded coming out next week. Um, 
yeah. So we'll see you guys in uh, when do we February say February ninth? We'll be back. We'll see you on February 9th. Goodbye. Bye. Oh right, <laughs> shit, shit. Ivo, do you have anything you wanna, that you want to plug? Uh, you can listen to uh, yet another beloved Sobolo Media property, uh, Boo Ha Ha, which you can find uh, on on Apple Podcasts or wherever your podcasts live. It's uh. It's it's like MST3K, but with ghost stories and local comics. Um, it's a little bit intermittent. It comes out when it yeah, needs to. It's around. <laughs> we'll call you. <laughs> it's one of those podcasts that like you don't like look for it in your feed, but when it pops up, it's like oh, it's just delightful. Yeah. It's the hardcore history of ghost podcasts. It's it's it does one episode every three years and it's 45 hours long <laughs> yeah it's 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 like the king tide like you know it doesn't come in often but when it does it brings aquaman with it or whatever i look forward to jason momoa guesting on the next episode of uh-huh. <laughs> uh it's justin ammerman but yeah close enough <laughs> yeah pretty much the same person all right goodbye for real this time i'm so sorry <laughs> <laughs> i love that as a sign off <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> really? It's Sarah, how- tell them you love this video. <laughs> That's how we should end all of our podcasts. Goodbye. <laughs> We're sorry. Can can as a so below sign off, can we like can we request like that audio from everybody and like overlay it like 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 we're in national public radio, the sign off, it's like a chorus of voices saying like NPR. Which is <laughs> <laughs> like, we're sorry. <laughs> Goodbye. (laughs) Goodbye. We love you. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Hello. Hello. It's me, the ghost who haunts your phone. Just kidding, it's actually me, Avalon, the host of Boohaha, which is a thing that I do. A podcast, if you will, that happens some weeks, not all. Don't wait up, it's fine, we'll call you. Shut up. Anyway, it's about ghosts and tangents. Mostly tangents, if I'm being entirely honest. So join me each and every week-ish as I gather the funniest people I know to a campfire that I build in my living room and then regale them with spooky tales of boogans and googas. Oh, also, it's a comedy podcast, if that wasn't clear from the vibe, you know. For more podcasts like the one you just listened to, go to SoBelowMedia.com. This, this is as above, so below.